Amen. So uh, here's some things that I think will motivate us to seek God's face in asking him to revitalize the prayer ministry of this church. I want you to notice, first of all, in verse 1, I've entitled this the ministry of prayer. The ministry of prayer. This is Paul's exhortation. He says, I exhort, therefore, he's charging uh, Timothy to, to set up the church and to lead them in this thing. And it's his exhortation to prayer during public worship. The context is, is talking about what are we supposed to do in the house of God. So the ministry of prayer, he says, first of all, I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions. Notice he begins with the importance of the public prayer ministry. First of all, what does that mean? Does he mean that uh, we should have prayer first uh, in the order of service, that we should begin our service with prayer? Is that what he means? Uh, There are some churches who take that position and they start their service with prayer. Prayer. I'm not against that. Sometimes I like to just do things differently to break up, the, you know, the normal order of service. And so sometimes I like to just start with prayer. Amen. But I don't think that that's what he means here. I think he's saying that it's of first importance. It should have a preeminent place in the church. It should be a priority. So I say it's the importance of prayer within the church. Paul said, first of all. And then, after telling us that it's important, now if God's going to tell you something is important, and if he's going to exhort us and charge us and say, this is what you must do according to Scripture, this is what you must do. If he's going to do that, don't you know that the Lord is going to give us some instructions for prayer? If you're going to tell anybody to do anything, as a leader or a supervisor, you say, listen, it's important that we get this done. This is the next item on our agenda. This is what we have to accomplish. All right, I'll see you later. You, you can't just do that, right? You have to tell them what you expect, what we have to do. Give them some instructions so they know what to do. This is true with children. This is true with adults. This is true in any organization. Tell them instructions. What are we to do so that we know uh, that we've accomplished the, the job, the duty. You know, I've, I've been uh, on staff at churches. I've, I've worked for companies and I've worked for bosses. Uh, some of them were better than others. But a good boss would say, listen, uh, John, this is what I want you to accomplish this week. This is what we need to have done around the job site. Okay, now I know what's expected of me, so I'm not frustrated. You know, I need direction. And then I need instructions. What, what do you want me to do so that when you come back and you, ex- you inspect what I've done, I'm not frustrated because you're, you're telling me I didn't do something that you, you didn't tell me that I needed to do. So I need instructions, and, and it's, uh, just, it just stands to reason, and we have those instructions. We know exactly what the Lord wants us to do. He wants us to, first of all, use supplications supplications. What is that? Those are precise requests for specific needs. It's praying for the supply that we need for our ministry, the supplications. It's like God's train that's, it's got the the engine on the front and it's got the cars in back And we're praying that God would just fill up those cars with the supplies that we need, specific requests that we need 
for our ministry and for the sake of people and, and for whatever we might be praying for. Supplies. Pray for those things. And then he says supplications and prayers. Prayers is a general word. It just talks about all kinds of prayer. It could be confession. That's a great place to start if you want to renew a prayer ministry either in your personal life or in the church is to start with confession and, and cleansing. Those are prayers. Saying, God, uh, I, uh, I fall short. I'm not really taking serious the, the ministry of prayer. It's not a priority to me. It's kind of a, an afterthought. Or, Lord, in our church, uh, prayer is kind of just something that we do out of habit. You know, we don't really pray when we pray. You know what I'm saying? When we pray, we ought to pray. <laughs> Amen. And when somebody is up here praying, they're leading in prayer. And all of God's people should be praying along, agreeing together with one another and praying specific things, saying that brother up there is leading in prayer, but uh, God, there's something that's on my heart specifically about what they're praying for. For instance, we could pray uh, for, um, uh, oh, uh, Dave and Terry Shane are not here and they are gone, they've gone to help. Uh, that's Bugs and Henry. Bugs and Henry had an accident today, and their car was uh, just demolished, it sounds like. Uh, it's, it's at least inoperative. It's not, not uh, going down the road anymore. And so they've gone to help them with that, but they're okay. They're okay. But, you know, pray for them. They, they use that car to drive here. They drive a great distance to come to church. They pass a lot of other churches along the way. And, uh, but we ought to pray for one another. Lord, give them safety as they travel to and from church. That's a good prayer. Amen. Simple things, the little things, like sister was singing in her song, if, it's, if it matters to you, it matters to him. But uh, praying for one another. Uh, adoration is a big part of our prayers. I'm going to say this, and then we'll move on, but listen, in our prayers, it ought to start with adoration. There's an old acrostic, A-C-T-S, the acts of prayer. A is adoration. That's your worship. That's just adoring God, not for what he's done for you, but just for who he is. And I'm going to tell you, that takes effort because that doesn't come naturally to us. To just adore God for who he is. It comes naturally to adore a newborn baby like uh, Kurt and Sarah's baby Grayland. That comes natural. She's just an adorable little, little tiny little thing, just a beautiful little girl. That comes naturally because that's human. But to adore God for his, his power, his might, his care, his watch care over us. Uh, to adore him for his creative power. For the, just the, how intricate his word is and how true and how it just all fits together. To adore him for his omniscience that he knows all things. His omnipotence, that he's all-powerful. To adore him for his love, his great love. I mean, you'll just find it. If you, if you read Scripture and you pay attention to prayers in Scripture, especially in the Psalms, you'll learn to adore the Lord in prayer. But listen, it's missing. It's missing in our prayers. It's missing. And it's something that needs to be put in there. He wants to be worshipped. In our prayers, he wants to be worshipped. 
And he even shows us how to do it. So we're not left without uh, help. Read Psalm 150. Read Psalm 145. That'll show you how to do it. Prayers, supplications, prayers, intercessions. What's that? That's praying on behalf of others. Notice he says to pray for kings, for all that are in authority. Pray for all men. God will have all men to to be saved in verse 4. Notice that God has not predestined some to damnation or to perdition. God does not do that. That's not the God of the Bible. That's a heresy. That's double predestination, and it's not biblical. This is a strong verse to refute that. In verse 4, God will have all men to be saved. That's God's will. It's God's will. Now, will all men be saved? Sadly, no. But that's because they reject the gospel. They will not receive the love of the truth so that they might be saved. So therefore, they will be damned. But it's God's will that all men would be saved and would come unto the knowledge of the truth. And so we need to pray because people's eyes are blinded. Satan, the God of this world, hath blinded the minds of them which believe not lest they should see the light of the glorious gospel and be saved. So we got to pray, Lord, open up their eyes. Their eyes are blinded. God, you know what they need. Do they need to be touched by the love of Jesus and of the gospel and of the truth? Or God, do they need to be scared (laughs) of going to hell? That's the reason I got saved, and that's not a bad reason to get saved. Do they need to be under conviction because of sin or Lord, there might be a scripture that they need. Lord, there might just be a certain person that they'll listen to. Would you, would you, you see, that's God's will to pray those things. You say, well, if it's God's will that they're going to be saved, they'll get saved. No, it's God's will for you to pray that his will would be done. You say, where do you get that? Well, from the model prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth. Why would he tell us to pray his will to be done? I don't know. That's the way he wants it done. Uh, I'm sorry if that's not a good enough answer. But God's got a will and God's got a plan. And he involves us in the ministry of prayer. And he won't move and do even his will unless God's people pray. That sounds like a, a uh, bold statement to make, but there's truth to it. God has fixed it so that he will not move and will not work. Prayer, like they say, moves the hand of God. And he said, pray, thy will be done. It's God's will for souls to be saved in Racine, isn't it? Do we pray for it? Do we pray for it? It's God's will for people of all walks of life, young and old, uh, religious and irreligious. They talk about the nuns in America, people with no religious affiliation. How do we win the nuns? I'm going to tell you, it starts with prayer. I'm going to tell you something else. God has so fixed it that he won't move until we pray. And God has so fixed it that he will not save Unless the gospel is preached. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching 
to save them that are lost. Is that not what the Bible says? This is just the Bible, folks. That means we have to have a real scriptural conviction that God wants us to pray, and then God wants us to bring people under the sound of the gospel, or God wants us to use this, the little missionary, the little preacher, the gospel track. God can preach through a gospel track through the printed page. God can even preach if a person has heard the gospel and has the knowledge of the gospel. God can even preach through music because music is just words set to a melody. Music preaches. But listen, he won't just do that without the gospel. That's not the way he works. So if they have the background of the gospel and a, and a song, just the Holy Spirit uses a song to just get them and to touch them. He can do that. You see, so much, so much depends upon the prayers of God, God's people. He says supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made uh, for all men. This giving of thanks, that's referring to our prayers of praise. Talk about the ministry of prayer. book. You can call it a prayer journal if you want. This is a cell phone, but for sake of illustration, get you a little black book. Get you a little leather book, maybe a little composition notebook, whatever you want to write on. Get something that will keep, though. Let me tell you about something that will be a blessing to the people that survive after you've passed on to heaven. It'd be a blessing to your kids and to your grandkids one of these days to open up your prayer book, your prayer journal. And you write down this. I'm talking about getting serious about this. You're praying. You're praying in faith, expecting God to answer, knowing that God's will will be accomplished as we pray that his will is done on earth as it is in heaven. But listen, how many times do we pray and we, come, we might come that week and we should give God the glory. There's nothing wrong with that. I'm not against that. 
And if you're trying to take glory for yourself, God knows, and, and there's, no, there's no blessing for you in that. You got your glory down here. But you, you should come and praise the Lord and say, I want to thank God that my loved one got saved, my friend got saved. I want to thank God that he answered my prayer. I feel like he protected me. I want to thank God that I didn't know where the money was going to come from, and at the end of the month there was more uh, month left than there was money. Amen? And there was more bills to be paid than I had money to pay those bills, and somehow God made a way, and he's always taken care of me. Those things are good, but listen, he says, in giving of thanks. Sometimes, and many times I'm afraid, I think we pray for things, and then we get up, and we walk away, and we forget all about it. And God answers the prayer, and we forget that we've even prayed it. I think that happens a lot of times. Or, or we pray, and we don't really expect God to answer but listen, if you expected God to answer, Jesus said to his disciples, Hitherto have ye asked me, ask nothing in my name, ask, and ye shall receive. Do you believe that? The teachings of Jesus were so simple, but they require a lot of you, don't they? They're convicting. Hitherto have ye asked nothing in my name, he says to my disciples, to his disciples. Ask and ye shall receive, that your joy may be full. That prayer book could be a joy book. <laughs> Just write down in there, this is my prayer request. So, maybe, if you like, you've made a request, an R, and I've done this, and a slash, and then a little A beside it when the prayer is answered and a date. That's really expecting God to answer prayer. And that's saying, well, I don't know if I have enough faith to do that. Do it. It's exciting. Put down your prayers. This is the date. This is my prayer request. Sometimes when things got bad, I'd even put down burdens and things I was carrying and things that happened to me. Just wanted to just wanted to have a record of it. And I'd put down praises too, but a lot of times it was just requests. I'd put an R down there, put a slash, and say, all right, Lord, I'm waiting on you. He doesn't always give us what we want. That's not what I'm saying. He gives us what we need. And he answers in three different ways. Yes, no, and wait, if you prefer, maybe. But I, I like wait. Yes, no, and wait. So if he hasn't answered the prayer, just keep on praying. Importunate prayer, right? And then say, Lord, there it is. I'm claiming the promise. Ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. And then watch him answer. I was able to look back at prayer journals before I came here to, to be a pastor and to read some of those things. And every once in a while, just open it up and just to see, to remind myself, because the devil... He's a good at, at discouraging you, telling you that you're too weak to pray, you're unclean, you, you're too inconsistent, uh, that God's not going to answer that prayer. But when you can open up your prayer book and show the devil, he came through here and he came through there, and remind yourself he came through on this occasion. That's the ministry of prayer. And there's incentives for prayer, and I don't want to really get into those too much, but he's saying pray for kings, 
For all that are in authority, in your prayer book, you ought to have listed the administration of the national government, of the local government. Because, listen, if you're going to take it seriously, this ministry of prayer, he says, pray for all, A-double-L, all, that are in authority. It's either we're going to do it or we're not going to do it. It's either we're going to be obedient to God's word or rebel against God's word and be disobedient to his revealed will. He says that we may lead a quiet, that's a inner peace, quiet and a peaceful, peaceable life. That's the outward peace in all godliness and honesty. You know what's wrong with America? I don't have to tell you. You could tell me a lot better. But what's wrong with America is not what's happening on Capitol Hill. It's sin. That's right. It's not the politicians. It's the preachers. It's not your local representative, state representative, congressman, congresswoman. It's the Christians. It's not Congress. It's the Christians. It's the churches. That's what's wrong with America. Prayer can move mountains. Prayer, according to this verse, through prayer we can live a peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. And he says in verse 3, this is good and acceptable. So these are incentives for prayer. The importance of prayer, the instructions for prayer, and the incentives well, I tell you, that's, I've heard a lot of people say, I sure hope the Lord comes back because uh, I don't know about what kind of world my kids and my grandkids are going to grow up in. I've heard people say things like, like uh, I know that the Bible's true and I know that in the last days perilous times shall come, but I don't want them to come yet. You realize what that'll mean. You understand that we're going to have to go through those perilous times at the end of this age before the Lord comes back. And I'm thankful, thank God we won't be here for the tribulation. But listen, things are going to get worse. Not better. Things are going to get worse. We are salt. We're supposed to preserve the land. I heard the president say, when children are in school, those children belong to the school. I heard the church, I had heard the school say to one of the mothers that attend our church, when your children are at school, your children belong to us. How is that happening? That's not right. I don't know if you know that. But that's not right. The children belong to the parents. The parents are responsible for the education of their children. The parents decide what their children will learn. The only reason why the government is able to get away with that and public schools are able to get away with that is because parents are letting it happen. And parents don't have the backbone that they should have because preachers don't have the backbone that they should have. You know what they want to teach you in school? They're going to teach you in school that you are a, not uh, responsible to the authority of your parents and then when you get to uh, community college, they're going to teach you communism and that Karl Marx is a hero. Ask me how I know that. 
been through it. Folks, that is satanic. That's the spirit of Antichrist. That is the first authority that God tells me I have. I read in Genesis chapter 1, 2, and 3 about Adam and Eve, the first institution that God set up, the authority of the home, that man is the head of the home. I read in my Bible that I'm supposed to honor my father and my mother. And even though I'm 42 years old, I'm still supposed to honor my father and my mother. That's ingrained in me, but it didn't get ingrained in me through public school. It got ingrained in me through Scripture after I got saved. I'm just saying there's incentives for prayer, and prayer can change things that uh, politics can't change. Who will have all men to save, verse 4, and to come unto the knowledge of the truth. There's uh, precious teachers who really love just having an influence and teaching children, and they're within the public schools, and they need your prayer. Verse 5, the mediator, just briefly. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. There is but one mediator. His name is not Joseph Smith. The Mormons recently had an international conference, and they had thousands of people. I watched this online. Thousands of people attend. They're evidently doing uh, fairly well. But listen, Joseph Smith is not a mediator. The Mormonism uh, of Joseph Smith was a damnable lie. Our mediator is male, not female, so it can't be Mary. The Bible never tells us to pray to Mary. Sadly, there are many who do. The Gnostics of Paul's day were teaching people to pray to angels. Yeah. But they're all ruled out because there's one mediator, one middleman between me and God. And so we pray in Jesus' name. He is the mediator of prayer. He says in uh, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19, Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. Listen, at the end of this passage, it's going to say, I will that men pray everywhere, lifting up holy hands. I don't know how many times I've actually seen a man lift up his hands in prayer in church, but I think it ought to be done because it's scriptural, and uh, I'm here to be the first one to admit that I haven't done it because it's just not a Baptist thing to do is the way that I've felt about it, but it's a scriptural thing to do. Amen. And here's the thing. Who of us here can hold up our hands and say our hands are pure? Well, Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. You know what I say when I'm praying sometimes, when the devil tells me you're not good enough? You, uh, your heart's cold. You're prayerless many times. You're, you're inconsistent in your living. You lost your temper. You know what I tell the devil? You're right, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. I come to God by faith in Jesus' death and shed blood. I come based on his merits alone. And I come because I am invited even more than that. I am commanded to come and to pray. And I've, given great, I've been given great encouragement to come and pray. And not only, I'm not coming in there like a dog with my tail between my legs. I'm coming in boldly, 
Now, I'm not talking to God like, like he's my buddy, like he's my pal. I'm not talking about that, but I'm talking about coming in boldly. So we ought to be able to lift up our hands. Listen, if you've confessed your sins, if you have confession, you have prayer, First uh, uh, John 1, 9, and a promise attached to that prayer that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to what? To forgive us and then to do what? To cleanse us. So listen, if you're in fellowship with the Lord, your, your sins are, are prayed over and confessed. You have forgiveness and cleansing. Therefore, you can lift up holy hands. I don't know what it looks like exactly. I don't know if Paul is standing there like this. But evidently, Paul did this when he was in their presence. I don't know if they're standing up with one hand or if they're just praying like this. This is lifting up holy hands. Uh, but one way or another, listen, how could I come in here and hold forth the word of truth? to you hold up the holy scriptures unless i was able to hold them up with hands that were holy and separated unto service for the lord so he says uh, there's incentives to pray there and there's a mediator to pray rather and come boldly by a new and living way which he hath consecrated for us and he says just briefly verse six who gave himself a ransom for all it's a ransom. It's not a down payment. It's a paid uh, thing. It's paid in full. It's a payment that was paid in full. Romans 5.8 says, But God commendeth his love toward us, and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Hold on to that thought that Christ died for us. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death. That's why Christ died for our sins. To pay the payment. And when he hung on the cross, he said, it is finished, right? He made a full payment. That's what our ransom is. A payment for our sins and for our freedom from bondage to sin. If there was one sin left that Christ's death could not take care of, then he could not have come back from the dead. But the resurrection is proof that Calvary indeed covers it all. He once suffered for sins, the just for the unjust, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but quickened by the Spirit. And he wants to bring us to God in this passage in the sense of being a mediator of prayer to bring us close to God. And lastly... We looked at the ministry of prayer, the mediator of prayer. He's the only reason I can come to God in prayer. He's the only reason. And lastly, the men of prayer, the men of prayer. Whereunto I am ordained a preacher, Paul says, and an apostle. Now, why does Paul start talking about himself? I speak the truth in Christ, and I lie not, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and verity. Paul is holding himself forth and in his apostolic authority, he's ordained. It's God that gave him the order and told him to go and be an apostle. Apostle means a sent one. And, and he says that God sent me to the Gentiles. This is the truth. And I have preached to you the faith and delivered that to you. Paul is setting himself forth, and he's setting himself forth as a pattern Men of prayer should have a certain pattern of life. And Paul 
he, he displayed that pattern for them. He is the pattern saint for the church today. And so that when Paul was in, his, in their presence, they saw a man of prayer, and we should be men of prayer and follow that pattern, men. You say, why are you talking to men only? Just because of the passage, he says, verse 8, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Don't forget the context. We're talking about worship within the church. How to conduct ourselves in the house of God. In the house of God, God wants prayer led by men. That does not mean mankind. That means male. Men praying. Somebody asked me, why is it that only the boys can take up the offering? Here's the answer. And I don't mean this in a cocky spirit. I just sound like that, okay? Here's the answer. Because when those men come forward to pray, they're called upon, uh, come forward to take up the offering, they're called upon to pray. Because the collection is a spiritual sacrifice. And prayers in the church are to be had by men and to be led by men. You say, is that to put the women down? No, that's to tell the men to take your position as a spiritual leader. Man up. Be a man of prayer. Answer the call that God has given you. There are people who need men to lead spiritual leaders. Wives, mothers, children need men to take their position as a spiritual leader and take it seriously. And so therefore the standard is set in the church. Everything rises and falls on leadership, right? Everything rises and falls on leadership. God has called men to pray to set the standard in church so that when men come to pray, I remember coming to, to church as a young man and just a young Christian, I remember how strange it was to sing hymns after all the music I was used to singing. And hymns just sounded different than anything else I'd ever heard. And that's good. Church ought to sound different than the world. And I don't care if you like that or not, but I do. It ought to sound different than the world. Hymns just filled with doctrine and praise and adoration to the Lord and all this kind of stuff. I remember just coming and I remember hearing men, men, Stand up and pray boldly, not like sissies. Because I, I had the idea that Christianity was kind of uh, effeminate and kind of, you know, uh, le- you know, the only people interested in church were women and children because that's the way it looked. But to come to church and hear men stand up and pray manly prayers, bold, confident Real, sincere, like you can tell it's real. That's what a young man needs to see. If the church is going to move forward, it will not move forward unless men, spiritual men, take the lead. And it's, it's uh, not only that, but it's just the instructions of Scripture. I will, therefore, that men pray everywhere. It doesn't mean that the women cannot pray along. The women, everybody should pray along in the church. Women are praying along as the men lead in prayer. Men of prayer. They have a certain pattern of life, and that pattern was established by Paul. Men ought to pray in in the home, in private. That's where we get our practice at prayer. Pray in home and, and private and pray in the church house in public. He says, I will therefore that men pray everywhere. Men of prayer will be in the church 
what they are in the closet and nothing more. Now, here's the thing, guys. Your, your prayers, your public prayers, when you pray and when I pray, people can, they can tell our spiritual condition. They can tell if your heart is, you know, if Jesus is on the throne. And if you're a man after God's own heart, they can hear it in your prayers. And they can also hear spiritual growth. Think about it when these boys pray. You listen to them pray and you say, that's a cute prayer of a child. But how, it's, it's, when you hear them as they start to grow and you hear children pray as they start to grow and their prayers mature. Same thing happens with men in, in church. They come to church Men are, they, they, especially uh, you take a man who's not, he's, he hasn't been churched, he didn't grow up in church, and he's coming to church, and the pastor actually asks him to take up the offering. He feels really privileged. I can't believe he'd asked me. Uh, I don't feel worthy of that, but he's asked to take up the, the, the offering. And then maybe beforehand, after, after he does it for a while, the pastor say, would you pray this time in service? Would that be all right? You don't have to, but that'd be all right. And then he agrees to pray. And the first time you hear him pray, let me tell you something. God loves that prayer. God loves that prayer. It might just be a simple thing. But the longer that you're together in church, the more that your prayers ought to mature and grow and be filled with adoration. And listen, if a man is not praying at home before his family, that's because he doesn't have a good conscience. He can't do it in good conscience. He's not right with the Lord, so therefore he can't pray before his family. He can't pray with his wife because his wife sees him all the time. She knows the condition of his heart. He can't pray with his children at bedtime because he's just not walking on prayer ground. And then to be brought into church and to pray... You will be nothing more in church than you are in the closet. You say, I'm not doing it to show off anyways. It's not about showing off. It's about being obedient to this text. And we need praying men in church. So practice at home. Grow in your prayer life at home. And be, listen, be ready. You say, preacher, are you ready to preach your sermon when you come to church? Yeah, I'm ready to preach. Are you prepared? That's what I think about the church. Are you prepared to have church? Are you prepared to receive the word? Are you prepared to pray? You ought to have your uh, sins, keep short accounts, keep those things confessed, walk with the Lord. None of us are going to be spiritual giants. It's not about that. It's about a simple relationship with the Lord, walking with the Lord, having that pattern of life and a purity of life. He says, lifting up holy hands. That's the purity of life, not sinlessly perfect, but just walking with the Lord in fellowship, having your sins confessed, nothing between you and the Lord, enjoying unbroken fellowship with him from day to day. And look, without wrath and doubting, these are two attitudes which are listed that make prayer impossible. If your heart is filled with wrath, if you just flew off the handle and just you know, chewed your wife and kids out on the way to church, you're not on praying ground. Without wrath, without doubting, you cannot pray unless you pray in faith. These two attitudes make prayer 
impossible. Folks, I don't want to exalt man, but I've known men of real prayer, and you have too. I mean, I've, 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 I know men that I know they are men of prayer. And it's an exceptional thing. It's rare. But I know, I know that I can call George Griffiths, Camp Victory. I know that man prays. He prays. He walks over the camp. He lays down behind the pulpit at that summer camp. He prays for kids. He cries out to God with strong crying and tears, praying for souls. There's a reason why things cut loose and really get going when you're down there and why the Spirit of God brings such a refreshing and why so many souls are saved. It's because of the ministry of prayer. And his, uh, his nephew, uh, Joseph Griffiths, a pastor up in Lake Milton, Ohio, he's a man of prayer. My, my brother-in-law, Kevin, down in Florida, he is a man of prayer. You just wouldn't know it unless you really know him. He's not advertising it, but I know him. He's a man of prayer. If he tells you, I'm going to pray for you, he does. We need men of prayer. In conclusion, let me ask you uh, a few searching questions uh, for you to prayerfully consider. Number one, how's your private prayer life? Before you and the Lord, just in your heart, before the Lord, how's your private prayer life? Does it exist? Many people will go an entire week without prayer. They'll come back to church on Sunday and pray again with the congregation and we'll go another entire week without prayer. That's not God's will. There ought to be private prayer and public prayer. How's your private prayer life? Prayer is just simply talking to God and sharing your life with Him. The big things, the small things. Do you keep a prayer list? Do you have a prayer book? Would you commit to the Lord? I think that if the Lord saw, look, if it's good and acceptable in the sight of God for us to do this, I'm going to tell you this based on this word right here. That if you got a prayer book and said, Lord, I'm going to start taking this seriously. This is the token of my commitment to you that I'm going to take this ministry of prayer seriously. That would be good and acceptable to the Lord. Just keep it between you and him. Keep it. That's a matter of the prayer closet. But uh, how about a purity of life? How pure is your life right now? You can't pray with a bad conscience. But that thing can be fixed just, just like that. He stands willing and ready to make you the prayer warrior that he wants you to be. How about this? Are you currently leading your wife or your family in a dynamic prayer ministry? If not, why not? You can, so you should, right? Do you believe our church is missing the mark in this ministry? And, and I do. I do, and that's on me. I think our church is missing the mark. That's why the Lord wanted me to preach this. And this most important ministry. What I want us to do is I just want us to ask the Lord to help us to renew our commitment to this, to this ministry of public prayer, and just ask him to do it and to, to make him first place. You know, 
Uh, I've been watching videos about young Christians who come out of evangelical or independent Baptist churches, uh, some of them come out of other churches, and they are angry about one thing or another, or they've been hurt, or they've been abused, some of them in some cases uh, physical abuse, you know what I mean, Sunday school, youth pastors, and things to that. So they talk about, at first in their videos, if you watch enough of them, they'll, they'll start a YouTube channel just to, to basically finally come out and say it because it feels good to finally say it. I was abused or I was uh, hurt um, emotionally or verbally or worse. And so they come out and they say it online because that's where truth dogs, right? Some of them start channels. And you watch from saying, I left the Independent Baptist Church movement for Christ. That's what they say. I left the Independent Baptist Church movement for Christ. And that sounds good at first. But if you watch their progression, it just goes downward and downward and downward. Then they say, I don't even know if I'm a part of this whole conservative Christian stuff. And I'm just going to be a Christian in kind of a more accepting finally get to the point to where they just come out in their last video and they say, look, I know it's a discipline for some of you guys, and I don't mean to hurt you, but I no longer identify with the Christian faith. That has happened over and over again with young people in America. What's going on? What's going on? It's not happening in the public. They're not keeping it real.
That's my invitation tonight.